This episode is sponsored by World Anvil. World Anvil is an award-winning world-building and writing software for people who love to create rich and exciting worlds. Dungeon Crawlers. We would be honored if you would join us. Awesome. Well, I'm glad I got your consent before I hit record. Anyway. <laughs> uh, all right. So um, one more question. I'm going to ask you another question. I'm going to give you the breakdown here in just a second. We just asked you what talking points you absolutely need us to hit. Are there any talking points that we should not talk about? Is there anything that we should not ask about? How the book ends. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I know you've been into that. No, I, I don't think so. Yeah, whatever you like. Very first question out of my mouth. So how does it end? How does it like, <laughs> is it a sunset? Is there a moon? Is there a space station? Like, you know. No, nope, it's a giant moon. Yeah. Giant moon. Yeah. That's no space station. <laughs> that's, that's a moon. No moon. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Okay. So uh, the three of us, Matthew, myself, and Daniel, we often will try to communicate with each other using nonverbal uh, clues or cues of any kind. You'll often see us hold up some sort of object. I have this ping pong paddle. My brother, Matthew, has a Rubik's Cube, and Daniel has uh, a, a, a Sith holocron. No, um, he, ha <laughs> he, has, he has the fourth chakra. And so yes. we, hold this up. <laughs> we hold these up. And uh, what we're doing there is we're saying that we have something we'd like to add on to what's being spoken. The person who is speaking, is especially uh, anything works, my friend. I like your shock. <laughs> Go back to the chakra. Uh, right. uh, whoever is speaking, especially if it's you, Brandon, should not feel rushed to hand the baton over. All we're saying is we have something we want to say once you're done, but take your time, make your point perfectly fine. And then we tend to, you know, I know we're on zoom, but we tend to nod at each other or point, And that's how we sort of pass the baton. Uh, feel free. If you would like to join in on that kind of communication, just have some object that you hold up when you want to say something, but you're going to, you're going to be talking a lot because we're going to be asking you a lot of questions. So you shouldn't have to worry about it too much. And you don't have to have something. Yeah. You, know, you yeah. are the priority of the show. So as we uh, uh, I hey a, I, have, I have a stud detector for some reason nice. <laughs> keeps going off when i hold it <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, as we start the show uh you'll hear the three of us do a sound sync clap type thing you don't have to do any of that that is just what we do because of the way that we edit the audio and post so you're taking care of, you're being grabbed. Oh, did we just lose Daniel? Just as no, we didn't. Oh, just the camera. Okay. I'm cleaning my camera lens. That's fair. That's there fair. we go. Okay. I'm trying to get my audio set up as well. Uh, Matthew and I tend to capture our audio independently, and that's why we do the sound synchronization stuff. You don't have to do any of that. Just be patient with us. Once we do our sound sync, Daniel will kick the show off, and it'll be very obvious where you'll jump in. Yeah. Okay. And after you do the intro, Daniel... Um, I noticed that a lot of times we've been forgetting to introduce who's with us. And since our cast keeps changing, it might be helpful to the listeners to uh, introduce each person as well as our guest. Uh, that is true. Yeah. That is true. They've been listening long enough. They should know who we yeah. are. They should. <laughs> they should. I know. <laughs> it was just me and you last week. Come on. We did two. I know that was easy. And Josh was sitting on a beach in Jamaica. I know the loser. He got, he missed out on the awesome author interviews. I did, He's but the so indictment jealous. I face will be worth it. No, it's, <laughs> it's perfectly fine. Yeah, it was right. fun. It was a good time. Hang on one second. Is that? Yeah. Okay. Cool. I think I'm. I think I'm good. I think I'm good. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and start. You guys ready to go? Yep, I'm ready. Yep. Oh, it says I'm peaking my mic like crazy. This be better. Fan of that. Hang Hold on up. a second. Let me see. Does this uh lightsaber? No, not too much. Give me give me one second, guys. I'm my input's a little hot. Hang on. All right. Uh da, 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 da. sound settings. This is the this is where the sausage gets made. Um <laughs> never good. Don't yeah, never mind. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Uh, where is, yeah, that one. Do something, man. Master volume. Oh, maybe that's why. Can I turn that? What about that? Let me, uh, 
Sorry, folks. It's that and everything else. Now, my mine, test, 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 test. Oh, mine's mine's picking up a lot of background noise. I'm not even moving or doing anything here, and it's still picking up stuff. And it's odd because it's coming from. It synchronizes with you. Uh, yeah. And I'm like, I've got second. my headphones on. There's no sound. I'm gonna mute out. and see if it's coming from me. Well, oh. you'll need to talk then. Yeah, I'm not entirely certain. Okay, it's picking up the wrong microphone. That's why. Okay. All right. I, and I think mine is just picking up ambient noise from the creaking of the house and stuff. So I'm good. Yeah, Your house true. is creepy. creepy. Uh, it is not creepy. The PC term is haunted. Okay. Thank is you it very ooky? much. Is it ooky and spooky? <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. How's that? Okay. That's actually better. And that's going to sound nicer anyway. And they are okay. not ghosts. They are phantasm energy experiencing bodilessness. Oh my gosh. Ooh. Well, they were ghosts, but now they identify as humans again. So <laughs> uh all right, cool. Uh I think I think now, I think now I'm I'm good to go. All Let's right, see. ready for sound check? Okie dokie. Uh yes. Let me get mine rolling. Sorry for the delay. Here we go. Audio sync for Krebs in three. Two, one. Audio sync for the other Krebs in three, two, one. And audio sync for Daniel, which is not a Krebs, but am an honorary Krebs. This is true. Three, two, one. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers, where once again we have an amazing author interview uh, for you uh, for this episode. Uh, we have author Brandon Ying Kit. Bowie to talk about his debut novel, Karma of the Sun, which sounds fantastic. And it's too bad that right now you're not seeing uh, the video of this as we're recording because there's this amazing, brilliant halo that's around his head, uh, which <laughs> now we're going to be enlightened by the end of this episode. Uh, but what I'm really excited to hear about is you know, the premise of your book. As we were talking about before we started recording, you mentioned this was a post-apocalyptic book, but what's different is it's uh, it's Eastern based, where you know not the modern Western uh, post-apocalyptic book that we're used to to getting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I love the uh, and first of all, um, thank you for having me. I'm so yeah. so uh, glad to be with you. Um, I, I love the post-apocalyptic genre for a lot of reasons. And it struck me one day that, wait a second, why is the world always ending in like a major Western city? You know, like what, <laughs> what about the rest of the world? It seems, you know, probably actually pretty unlikely that survivors are going to be, you know, killing zombies um, in New York City, you know, as much as, as, as that's really cool to watch. And around the same time I was thinking about this, I came across some Eastern texts about the end of the world. Um, there were there were two sutras in particular, um, Buddhist you know, writings um, that talk about the end of the world in a very specific way. Uh, there's one of them that talked about seven apocalyptic suns, and as you read through it, at least to me, it it it, it was very uh, apparent that they're describing. Like nuclear blast, you know, it's like the after the first sun, you know, the cities will burn, and this, after the second sun, the oceans and lakes will dry up, and the third, and and you know, I had a couple of thoughts. One was, and this is very weird that it parallels, you know, sort of the Judeo-Christian uh, renditions of the apocalypse that 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 we all know. Um, the parallels were uncanny. And then, you know, secondly, um, if 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 these all if all these disparate world cultures have this view about the end of the world, that's actually kind of bleak. You know, well, what does this say about our faith and and you know belief in humanity? You know, the fate of the world that we all kind of have this thing hang. You know whether it's Judaism, Islamism, um, 
Buddhism, Taoism, right? The, all, all these and other things that don't end in any ism, they all kind of have this like expectation that the world's going to end. And so why is that? I started thinking about this and I started thinking about like this, I mean, it really kind of, um, it really is very bleak to look at the world that way. And what if you have a person who's just starting off in their life? And then I, I thought about these seven apocalyptic sons and I thought the first, what if, what if the first six have already occurred? So they know for sure the world is going to end. The seventh nuclear blast is coming, the seventh apocalyptic sun. And you set the story between the sixth and the seventh from a young person who's just kind of starting off life. Um, what, what could they do? Like, what could you do as a protagonist? Basically nothing, right? If, if the world is going to end. And I wanted to test that and think, you know, can one person really change the fate of the world? You know, what, what, what can, what can that person do? That's, I find that really interesting. Uh, I'm also a really big fan of post-apocalyptic stories. My, the draw for me is how do you, what, what vestiges of civilization are you able to, to save? And those pieces that are left, how do you use them to rebuild? How do you survive in the short term and rebuild in the long term? Those are the stories I, I like to see. Everything's broken down. What new thing is created from the ashes? And But that's definitely a very Western-influenced story. And they all kind of mm. follow the same uh, kind of kind of path. And so I'm I'm curious, what is the Eastern perspective on the apocalypse? Is it one of these things like, um, is is it resisting, fight, kicking and screaming um, uh, against it? Is it acceptance? Is it somewhere in between? What? Uh, how would you summarize the the Eastern philosophy of the apocalypse? Yeah, it 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 brings up more questions than there are answers and why it's so fascinating because I feel like it's a doctrine full of uh, contradictions because you know um you could say that the eastern buddhist hindu um philosophy is there is no end right um the end is 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 um the end is just the beginning. Um, it's it's indefinable. But then there's this concept of um, reincarnation, right? And reincarnating, if you die, return um, to the earth as something else, right? Another kind of creature. But if the earth is gone, then where do you return to? Uh, so this novel has this backdrop of um, reincarnation in the story and and that's that's another difference yeah speaking of this book i don't know if we've mentioned the title why don't we uh why don't you uh introduce the uh, book to us brandon sure the book is called karma of the sun and this book was this just was released right it it just released yesterday yesterday um, as of this recording by the as way as of folks, this recording Yesterday means January seventeenth in this context. Yes. Yeah, awesome. and it's it, it's been pretty exciting. Um, you know, the the pre orders kind of exceeded expectations, and I and I heard um, that it it's uh, the hardcovers have actually for now sold out on um, on Amazon, but still available on on other 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 uh, through other fine booksellers. But um, yeah, it's it's been an exciting week. Now, is this your first published novel? It is. So this is your very first outing. Uh, well, your first outing in terms of a novel. Have you been published in other forms of writing, like I have, you know, in, yeah. in the fiction area? Uh, not in, not in fiction. I I've been writing, you know, ever since I was a child. It's kind of the one thing I I always wanted to do. Wrote a lot of short stories, uh, plays. Um, poetry, and this this book I've been working on on and off over the course of ten years, um, three different iterations of this, um, and just adding on more layers and, and more research. Um, 
it was something that I wanted to tell. It never felt like I, I could get it right. And then um, a number of years ago, the, you know, it, it was sort of the world was in this state where I think a lot of people started asking or thinking about the apocalypse, you, you know, just going through a, a global pandemic. There was civil unrest and, and things like that. And I really started thinking about things in a little different way, you, you know, um, some of these themes of hope, some of these themes of why, why do we, are we programmed to be self-destructive, you know, as a, as a, as a, as a human race, um, because we tell these stories because we have this expectation, right? Um, is it harmful or is there sort of, um, something positive from that? You know, maybe the fact that all these disparate world cultures have this shared belief, this this almost universal belief about how things play out, means that the solution is that we we work together, we cooperate, and kind of you know binds us together. We're, you know, one culture is no better than another. We all share the same planet. We all can potentially share the same fate. We should work together to solve the problems of the world, and and that's just something I really wanted to. Um, you know, to, to talk about in this novel. That's fascinating. Now you said that you've been writing this book off and on for 10 years mm. in, in that time, as you're, as you're creating this, this narrative, as you're building this story, were there any major evolutions that took place in the way that you portrayed the, the protagonist? Were there any, like, maybe you started off with a protagonist of this flavor and then you ended up at a very different point in the spectrum? Were there any like major evolutions that took place there or was your protagonist more the constant and then the story itself evolved? Yeah, that's a great question. I, uh, I think the protagonist was always kind of constant. In fact, it started out with this image of this young man, you know, walking towards a mountain. Um, and I just kind of had that image pop into my mind and it raised all sorts of questions like, who is he? You know, why is he, why is he traveling to this this mountain? Why are there people who are trying to stop him? Um, you know, what's special about this mountain? Why is it the last mountain on Earth? Why why have there been earthquakes that have leveled, you know, the rest of the land? And then it went quickly from that to the most mountainous part of the world, the Himalayas, this area that in the novel has been protected um, from nuclear fallout by the ranges, the Himalayan ranges. And now, as the seventh sun is 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 nearing, uh, the mountains have all collapsed, and so now there's no place that's safe. And they're really forced to reckon with what's going to happen to them. Interesting. That's you know you talked about setting a little bit ago. Uh, you know, New York City, West Coast, Midwest. Uh, and now Himalayas. Recently, um, my wife was really into watching some documentaries about climbing Everest um, and just how inhospitable uh, the terrain and the environment uh, is to that. Do the six preceding suns have any effect on the uh, on the environment there? Or is it still just this is still the same? frozen wasteland that uh, Everest and the Himalayas are. Yeah, it, it does. They do have an effect. And, you know, roughly, it, it's roughly, uh, as, as, as the story takes place, about 100 years since the last of the six sons. So they, you know, they don't really know much about the world before, like our times. Um, they just see the effects of this world where they they somehow know that they're the only ones left. They see these you know remnants of uh, of, of of civilization like you know rusty aircraft and and things like that. Um, but because of these cataclysms, the world is sort of reeling. You see these earthquakes that um, transform the landscape every night. So they go to bed one way, they wake up, the land is completely reorganized. The Earth's you know, wobbling. So even the stars are unfamiliar. They can't navigate. So, you know, they're, they're living in this, 
in this environment that was created through nothing that they did. And, and so karma is a big part of this story. Um, these people are, they've inherited the bad karma of, you know, like our world, our times, these people who, I mean, we, we I read someplace recently that we have like 3000 nuclear weapons in the world, like <laughs> enough to destroy this planet, like many, many times over. And, and so they didn't have anything to do with that, but they're living with those consequences, this collective karma. And so the karma of the sun, the sun is sort of like a, a you know, a, a play on, on sun, this apocalypse sun, but also he is the son of his father who, you know, is a central figure and carries this, is linked to kind of the curse of the, of the world and kind of this idea that we're, you know, we, we have to um, sometimes grapple with like bad things that happen to us, you know, because of other people's decisions and actions. Uh, but what can we do individually uh, in the face of that? So what was one of the, the things that really stood out as you were writing uh, this protagonist in, in the book? You know, were there certain things that, you know, as you're writing the story that really resonated with you as, a, as an individual? Or is it just something that like, wow, I really like this guy and this is why? Well, um, I, 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 I like this, this main character, this, this young you know this young man because he's sort of like an, an everyday ordinary person you know there's this motif of like a, the chosen one you know they're all they're mm -hmm. all believing in they all believe in the reincarnation of the lama who will come and save them because there's this prophecy that goes hand in hand with the prophecy of the end of the world um and so you know he he's he is the most unlikely person He's got these insecurities because, you know, of his background, because, you know, he grew up not only believing in the world, but believing that his father betrayed his village. Um, and so he, he, he has this like big hole, like this big gap that he's trying to fill. And so I like that he has to be resourceful. And I like that because, because of that, he um, ends up, you know, attracting the help of a lot of people. So it's 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 kind of like a weird superpower to have where you're just bad at everything and people like want to help you. <laughs> and that's how it starts. And, and, and I intentionally wanted, you know, that to emphasize like kind of the arc that he takes. And towards the end, he goes from just not knowing any better and actually doing something everyone's telling him is, is futile and ends up um, leading people but all through that, you know, he shatters this this without, you know, with spoiling the story, he shatters this whole motif of the chosen one where it's like there is no chosen one. Um, we are all the chosen ones. And there's a quote that says we're all the sons and daughters of 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 the Buddha. You know, we are all the ones that are here to take care of the land and and lead each other. Nice. Now in in it sounds like like you were mentioning that this book is not so much a western story as it is an eastern story or at least it's it's influenced by eastern culture and and mythology and and religion and uh and i'm curious uh did you were there did you take opportunities here to take things that were familiar and then invert them or manipulate them or make them strange and alien that whole concept of like yeah this sounds familiar but it's 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 different now. It's, you know, this, this has evolved over time or, or it's been confused or lost to time, that sort of thing. Did you take opportunity to, to sort of like mutate what it is that we find familiar? Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I'm sure, I'm sure I, I did. I mean, I, I think setting this in a place that is in the future, but it's almost like medieval, is is a way of inverting because it's like you know the post-apocalyptic genre is is a subgenre of science fiction so you know when when i tell people you know i wrote a science fiction novel it's called karma the sun they think space you know they think oh it's set in the future but actually it's it's very much like in the past and there are places in tibet today that look like 
you know, Tibet hundreds of years ago, you know, maybe mm -hmm. even a thousand years ago. And so I like the timelessness and the timeless feel of it. It, it. You know, this idea of the cyclicality of the world where these people living at the near the end of the world, like time has completely a different, different meaning. Um, space has a totally different meaning. It's, it's just, um, it's just almost irrelevant and, and to be alive or dead also doesn't really matter because they're living so close to death to the point that they can hear the dead every night they go outside and they hear the howls of ghosts that are haunting them and they're that are mourning their fate because these ghosts know that they will not be reincarnated oh. so they're dead but they're still suffering oh, that's and so they're they're haunting those who are alive uh given that i think you said this story takes place between the sixth and seventh sun events right yeah um so what is the technology like at this time in your story it's it's low tech they are i mean they're using um the types mechanical technology you know there's no electro electricity um their flintlock rifles which which mm. some people still use now mm -hmm. um you know but they there there's also um almost a mystical technology that um they discover towards the end of the of the story oh yeah this is fascinating because like my my brain is kind of like whirling with like how does this world work like as you were saying there's there's flintlock the very first thing i thought of is oh then they must have the ability to produce black powder yeah so there's like a certain level of chemistry and science that has to be understood producing black powder outside of a highly controlled environment is actually extremely dangerous and difficult um and must be done a very specific way right so but they're producing black powder uh they're producing balls for these you know flintlock weapons also where are the flintlock weapons coming yeah. from did they did, did did they discover like an ancient horde did they did they discover the technology and then reproduce it like i don't necessarily need you to answer that these are just the thoughts that are coming into my mm -hmm. head as you're describing this world and yeah. and you you've got ghosts you've got mysticism i mean this is this is this is pretty fascinating stuff and and so um how does it end I'm just curious, like how does the <laughs> oh, I'm just, I'm just does the world end or not? Yeah, no, you 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 touched on sort of a lot of the excitement with the world building that that I came that came um uh, you know that came about. Um, Tibet is just a fascinating place. There's far too little fiction written about it. I mean, th this is a place where you know in their everyday tradition and cultures there's there's witches there's shamans there's mm -hmm. demons yetis supernatural beings um even visitors from outer space right this just you know you know monks with with you know powers and ghosts and spirits and you know lost cities um it's amazing you know so you, just reading through some of this I was like, somebody should write, somebody should write a book about this. <laughs> and it should be me yeah. is what you thought. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm like, well, if no one's going to do it, I'm going to give it a shot. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, speaking of technology and, and sort of cool things, um, the, the, one of the texts that I, you know, primary texts that I research describes this, this stone, it's like this crystal where you can look into it and you can see the past, present, future. It's basically describing a, a crystal ball. When I was researching it, um, you know, I thought uh, it's sort of describing like a crystalline uh, structure that you can go inside. And so I had this um, idea of of like a room where you have these prisms and the prisms capture all the history of the world, like all the light that has been on the mm -hmm. planet gets gets absorbed and refracted and all the images are contained. Um, but you can also enter and go through all these these facets and you can access the, the past and the future. And so they're kind of hanging their hopes on this, you know, and some people want to use it to escape. Some people want to use it to control other people. Some people 
you know, want to go back to the past. Um, and it's so while you have this ticking time bomb of the seventh apocalyptic sun, you also have this race to be the first to find this, this room, this stone that comes out of this, this text. And I, I'm sitting here wondering about like the antagonist of this story too, because on the one hand, just as you're describing it, again, folks at home, uh, we were not able, uh, because of the publishing time period and the release, we weren't able to get the book in advance prior to this interview. So I'm just telling you right now, I haven't read the book. But uh, as I'm thinking about the way you're describing this story, on the one hand, the antagonist is really time, right? Like there, there is a finite amount of time. We know the world is coming to an end. And the question becomes, how do the people and the spirits who are lamenting the fact that they won't be reincarnated, how do they handle this? How do they face this? Is there a way to fight it? Is there a way to stop it? Human nature says that it always wants to fight back, always wants to survive, but maybe that's not the right answer. Like, so on the one hand, like the antagonist sounds like time, but what question I have for you is outside of the timeline itself, is there another antagonist? And is that antagonist like a person, a group of people, or is it some other aspect of the planet? Yeah, who's the foil? Really? Yeah. <clears throat> well, Josh, for someone who hasn't read the book, I mean, you're spot on when you said the, the time is the antagonist. I, I love that you you uh, zeroed in on that. That's kind of how I, I see it. And that's kind of how I see the world in, in general, you know. Um, and, and you know, who's, I think Margaret Atwood said, you know, every, every novel is about time or every story is about time. Um, and that resonates with me um there there are uh, numerous um foils and villains and antagonists you know that help bring out that that conflict you know the the main one is this um is is hanumana um this the minister a minister who's sort of like um the ruler over part of these territories comes across as a benevolent you know figure in the beginning says he wants to help karma says he knows his father knows that the mission that his father went on was a noble one and that despite what everyone said he knows that his father succeeded and that he as you know the son of a sherpa has the same abilities um that will help him pick pick up where his father literally left off in his, his search and it turns out to be you know somebody's very very different um so you know, I, I that that's that's certainly one um, major uh, foil. But then there are also other foils, um, people who are his friends. Um, there's a nun in particular, an older woman who who helps him, and at the end becomes sort of convinced that the world is going to end and gives up hope and really tests karma. You know, tests tests what he really believes, what he really cares about. So. It's just like the lands that keep shifting, you know, these these characters are reflections of the insecurities of karma. You know, they're real people, a, a well-formed people, but they help him on this journey <clears throat> by trying him. I like that. Now it's time to chat about our sponsor, World Anvil. World Anvil is an award-winning world-building and writing software for people who love to create rich and exciting worlds. With their software, you can create your world, manage your campaign, plan your novel, create a world wiki, wow your players, make novels more interactive, and make your worlds come to life. You can find them at worldanvil.com, and if you put in the discount code DCR40, you will receive a 40% discount today. So the the book is sounding more and more interesting the more we get into it, but I don't want to ruin the whole or, or you know take I don't want to expose the whole story here. Let's talk about the writing process a little bit. So you're saying that this is your first published novel. Um, a lot of people out there, a lot of our listeners uh, also enjoy writing. And there's, it seems like there's always this big hurdle of getting it out for other people to read it. And it used to be that 
the advice authors would give new writers is you've got to get an agent without an agent. There's no way for you to find a publisher or to get your book uh, out there. That's not necessarily the case anymore. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey? How did you break through that barrier so you can get your work of art out in front of other eyeballs? Yeah. You know, it was a long road as, as we kind of said, um, you know, there were, there was, there was plenty of rejection along the way, uh, lots of drafts, um, lots of people along the way who, who, who helped, um, you know, whether giving feedback, um, introducing people, I, I really wanted to let this book, um, take the time that it, that it needed. And I say 10 years, I mean, it really was like, uh, a, just a long process. I, I knew it was something I wanted to do. I knew how, um, I knew the story I wanted to tell. And I knew that it just wasn't there. You know, every year I would just, people would ask me like, how's the book going? You know, like when, when are we going to see the book? And I remember it's like, every birthday, every Christmas or something, you know, just these annual markers, we'd be like, I'm still working on it. Um, you know, and then at one point, um, I know this probably maybe is, I don't know, it's too much uh, detail from what you were asking, but there was one point I, I just, I remember telling my wife, I don't think it's going to happen. Like I, this book is not going the way I, I think it should. And I think I'm going to have to, um, I think I'm going to have to quit. Um, and, and by this point, I had already spent like five years and she was like, what? No, you're no, no, no. You're just having a bad day. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, listen, I'm not being uh, unnecessarily hard on myself. I know objectively like this sucks. <laughs> you know, like it's not good. <laughs> if I if I persist on this path, I'm just going to take a perfectly good story and ruin it for some other better writer. And the moment I said this and I really meant it, like everything changed. I felt like I'd passed some test for myself where before mm -hmm. I, I just wanted to be published. You know, I just wanted to be a published writer. So first, the only thing I ever really wanted. And then I realized at that point, I cared more about this story and the writing than I did about my own personal ambition. And then like just everything changed. I, I just wasn't afraid anymore because I had literally failed. I not only come close to failing, I had written myself off as like, I'm just going to be like a failed writer and it's okay. You know, I can always enjoy reading and that that's fine. And I'm willing to walk away from it. From that moment on, just everything started clicking. I, I didn't walk away from it. A, a month later, I came back and then the writing, the words just, just flowed. I, I sent it out to a bunch of agents and didn't hear anything for like half a year. Mm -hmm. And then one weekend, it was like the same weekend I got a bunch of replies, like from, can you send me a partial manuscript to send me the full manuscript to, I, I'd like to talk to you and maybe, you know, offer you representation. And I, I basically accepted the first offer I got, um, which was my agent, um, Tamara Kawar, who uh, was then, she's since moved agencies at at ICM, which is a big, you know, New York City agency. And I was just, um, I, I couldn't believe it, you know, I was blown away. But then it was more work. And she was very, you know, editorial type of agent, just getting the process of working and working it. And then it's funny when it finally got done, that that was when it was COVID. And <laughs> so we went out for this post-apocalyptic book during COVID and the you know the civil unrest in the wake of George George Floyd's death, and we went on submission around the time of um, between the elections and the Capitol riot, mm -hmm. and and every publisher is like, uh, no, like you can't even like, the most appropriate time to release a book like, like this. If we it's want on everyone's post mind, they're like, well, just turn on the news. Thank you if you want post-apocalyptic you know like this i'm like does he have a romantic comedy instead you know like we like his writing like uh and and so we literally thought like it just just wasn't the right time and i remember the agent said to me like i'm sorry the market has spoken um well, there's something beautifully yeah. ironic about the fact that the title of your book contains the word karma in it yeah. you know at, at the time of all this going on you know 
Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing that I really like, uh, you know, as a fellow author that has also gone down this path is you finally came to a point where it's like, you know, I, I don't care. I don't care anymore. I'm just going to write my story. I'm going to do what I need to do to finish this. And then it just, just came flooding back. You know, I, I've hit that wall many times where it's like, man, I got to get this book out. But you hit this point where it's like, I just don't care anymore. I just want to tell the story. And it's like, there's something out in the universe. I don't know. This is like, all right write a passage over and then it just all comes flooding in. So yeah. uh, that's fantastic. Uh, well, but no, I agree with, with, with Krebs there where, where he's talking about how, you know, karma is in the name of your book and just all the crazy things that were going on at that time, but you're here, you know, you've arrived despite those challenges, despite, you know, the, 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 you know, adversarial things that were happening in the world uh, to write the story. And now here it is. And it's out you know, for the public to, to pick up and read. And uh, congrats, definitely congrats on that. It, it's it's not an easy Thank road. You. You've done it. Yeah, actually, my favorite part of the, of of your process story is that you you hit that point of self evaluation. That 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 like that was a pinnacle point in your life. There are myriad multiverse versions of this where you stopped writing. And this story never actually saw the light of day, right? But in this in this timeline, you you passed your, that test that you were talking about. You passed that, and after you passed that moment, uh, it be, you went from this unsure, unsteady, unsteady, unstable, unfinished thing to this unstoppable juggernaut because you know you hit a pandemic and that didn't stop you you hit civil unrest that didn't stop you <laughs> new new president you know new new government that didn't stop you etc cetera, etc cetera. like there was that point where you could have stopped you and you didn't and because of that it, it became this thing that was unstoppable i think that's a really beautiful aspect of this story yeah I, that's a that's a great way to put it putting it i really i really love that yeah reflecting on it you, it's it's interesting how you know we, we hear about the writer's journey, and it's because of this. You know, so much of writing is is personal. You transform and change. Yeah, you never hear about like the accountant's journey. You know, nobody. <laughs> I'm an accountant. Not, no, not, yeah, yeah, no, no, not not nothing against accounts, but it's like yeah, yeah write is something about writing that really just like tears your 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 at your soul. You know, you really have to bleed a bit right to get it out on on paper. Anytime, anytime you're creating something that has never it, it it requires a piece of you to have it be done. It's it's not just a sacrifice. It's not just a sacrifice of like effort, which of course it is. But when you say it took you, you know, uh, ten years of your life off and on, if we condensed all the writing time down, that's still literally years of your life that you yeah. invested in getting a story out just for other people to read and have opinions about, right? Like to experience that whenever you're creating something, it costs you. And it's not just the effort. It's the time. It's the, like, like you had moments, you had, I'm sure several, many innumerable moments of self-doubt. You also had moments of great success and personal growth. It costs you to make this thing happen. And, and that's something so distinct and unique to creation. So many people work jobs uh, where they perform a process and there's some output or there's some product or there's some service, sure. But it's more like it's more like they're completing a formula or an equation as opposed to they're creating something living that they put out into the world, right? Creation is so different from anything else that we do as humans uh, in terms of occupation. So I think it's really kind of incredible that you sacrificed what you sacrificed in order to create this thing that just hit shelves yesterday. Well, here's a question for, for you guys, because you, you have you, you have spoken to a lot of creators and writers and you're all well-read. Um, you know, following along that that those lines, you know, the sacrifice, um, the um, long process of someone who's kind of new to this process and the price that they have to pay to create something versus someone who's experienced and tenured and maybe there's less suffering, less pain. 
Um, do you feel like there are people, there are, you know, established writers that, you know, who their early work is like always just better because they had to suffer more because they were less experienced and, and it's like, yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, yes, but I'm going to take a slightly different turn from authors. Uh, James Cameron. Mm, James Cameron, director. the film. Yeah, the director, yeah. right? Like, like you could look at the tome of his work, and it, it could easily be argued that every picture he has made has only grown in scope and size uh, from Terminator 1. I realize he had other films. I get that. But from like T1 to The Abyss to T2 to Titanic, to Avatar, to Avatar 2, to Avatar 17, whatever, <laughs> right? Like every film he does in terms of size and scope, it gets bigger and he does riskier things. And for that, I, I am appreciative. But if you look at the story, and this is my hot take, real opinions coming through, right? Like <laughs> here's, here's my take. Uh, Terminator 1 was was innovative i mean i realized story-wise maybe it wasn't totally new but it was it was this brilliantly executed concept and it started a whole genre of ai you know sci-fi terror kind of stuff right t2 also like put that genre on the map and refined it and made it something that so many other films had to live up to the abyss for heaven's sake if if you folks at home if you haven't seen the abyss you have missed out on a completely unique and beautiful and extraordinary film and then you get to titanic which is historical fiction you know kind of munched together and then we get to avatar and then we get to avatar way of water and like as he goes through these things are getting larger in scope but the story is losing its soul it's yeah. just tropish rehash in a different setting. He went from completely distinct and unique to, you know, a giant blue Pocahontas. And it's just, it's to your point, to your question, Brandon, the, the thing I'm trying to say here is while he is achieving great cinematic technological success, his stories now are the things that are suffering. He has all these resources and access to all these things where he can do really immense uh, exposition and 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 uh, display. The, the 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 medium by which he tells his story is enormous. But what story is he telling? The most vapid, retold, hollow experience with every movie that he makes thereafter, right? Like that. So for me, that's an example of someone whose storytelling was better when he when he had to suffer for it. Whereas now he has the world and he can't tell a story that's new. Yeah, no, I see. See, I think it's definitely different for filmmakers than it is for authors. I think as authors, our, our writing levels up. You know, it gets better the more we do. Uh, you know, I know my second book was much better than my first one um, and, and so on. And we see quite often, and that, this isn't the same for everyone. I think this is kind of different for everyone. You know, we have seen some authors where you're right. That first book was great and fantastic. The other ones just kind of weren't that wonderful. I really think, it, you know, it, it's it's the focus, you know. Um, definitely that first book is full of passion and excitement because you're putting everything into it, all your heart and soul into that. Um, and then that has to change as, you know, you get more book deals or things like that. And I think the the writers that focus on, you know, the people you know, that they're, they're fans, you know, and they want to deliver a good product to them. You know, I, I think they succeed at continuing to write better each and every book because they realize if they don't deliver, they're not going to have a fan base. And I think that's really what drives a lot of those uh, authors to, to be better in their writing. Um, and for those that just don't care anymore because, you know, they got a really great idea and they were thrown tons of money it's all about the money instead of the joy of writing, of telling the story. Uh, and that's probably where James Cameron went wrong. It's no longer about the joy of telling the story. It's all about, you know, how much, how much more money can I sink into this and make this yeah. fancy and amazing. It might, so, might be also like he's trying to recreate the challenge by taking on what he thinks are bigger, bigger, yeah. more elaborate projects, to, but it's just maybe technical difficulty, but the storytelling yeah you know isn't isn't the, the the same um level that it was but you bring up another interesting question which is having a fan base so that's something i have no experience with because i don't i don't <laughs> at this point i don't have any fans you're right? about to <laughs> yeah 
Well, it, it's, it's quite interesting. Um, you know, uh, when your book goes out, you're going to have people that are not going to like it. I, I don't know why, but for some reason, you're going to have people that are just not going to like the story. Hate it, haters going to hate. They're going to find reasons to hate it or whatever. But you're going to have, you're going to find people that love it. I mean, I, I will admit, uh, you know, when my first book came out, when someone came up to me and said, man, I love this story. And I'm like, really? Like, <laughs> you know, you know, and, and not, not like in this really bad way, but like, I've read tons of other authors and I love their books. And I, I was just like, no, I don't compare to them, but this, yeah, this one kid was just like, I love the book and just was going on and on about all these details. And I'm like, wow, this kid has really read this book, you know? And I'm like, okay, how many times have you read, have you read it? And he's like, well, I think I've, this is like the 17th time I've read through it. Wow. I was like, 17, really? Like, but, you know, you'll, you'll have those moments when you, and you hear that and you're like, wow, I've really made a difference in this person's life. They've enjoyed the material I've created. And then you get fired up to write again and you get, fired up to come up with another concept or another idea or write a sequel or whatever. Um, so it's definitely a fun roller coaster ride. I, my suggestion would be ignore any bad reviews, just mm. haters be hating pretty much. And mm -hmm. just go on, look at, you know, the ones that are, are positive and more focus on the ones that, you know, say, Hey, this was a great book. However, this you know, these constructive criticism items inserted. Um, I had one that I got that and it was fantastic. And it gave me the entire plot for the second book in that wow. series because it's like, oh, all right. Yeah. You know, I, I mentioned this item in the beginning and then I never did anything with it. And yeah. it's like, and then uh, on, on a car ride uh, to a convention, like the idea just bloomed out and I grabbed the recorder and plotted out the entire second book. So, um, you never know. You never know. But I, that's so cool. It is. And with your premise, I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of really cool ideas uh, to come up with, you know, you know, maybe you'll be at a convention and you, you'll see someone cosplaying one of your characters. I, I want to see that day happen. Um, I want to see yeah, that as well. <laughs> it, it has some great opportunities. I'm going to throw it back over to Krebs because it looked like he had some comments. Uh, Daniel, something you said earlier kind of sparked some thought because you're right. Re, uh, when it comes to writing, when it comes to storytelling in general, and actually I think this does apply to filmmakers also, like any creative really, uh, your first story is typically not going to be your best over time because like yeah. you're like you pointed out your voice as a storyteller evolves as you as you gain experience, right? Like so so conceptually in the typical scenario, if you write three books, the third book is going to have a better writing voice than your first book, right? That that that's the concept. That that that's probably the general outcome. So this question is to both of our authors, Daniel and Brandon. So like you've got some authors are just wildly prolific, and if it is the case that one's writing voice improves over time with experience, which makes sense, is there ever this concept of like an apogee? Is there ever like this concept of like like in television, we say jumping the shark, where you get to a point where like your voice is pristine, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, but because you write so well, you think everything you have to say is of value. And then there becomes that like area of like you stop self-editing. Do you think that's ever like a risk where it's like, yes, they write beautifully, they just write too much? Uh, I've never gotten to that point, so I can't answer. <laughs> But you've read so many books. Have you seen authors? Do you see authors suffer from that? Or has uh, your experience mostly been that like authors, as their voice evolves, so does their ability to tell a story and they know where to like trim the fat? I, again, I think it's, it's, it varies there. In my opinion, I, there are some authors, which I just feel like, you know, they get better at the editing game. They get better at telling the story and you can tell. And then there's others where, I just don't feel like it's there. You know, I don't want to name mm -hmm. names, but yeah, there are definitely some that I definitely feel. We'll give it over to Brandon. Yeah, I I would agree with that. And you know, and I I had another thought as you were describing that, and using the metaphor of like an actor, and we all know actors that are amazing to watch. They're, they're just regarded as very talented actors, like like Al Pacino, right? Um, 
but they play this basically the same character all the mm -hmm. time yeah huh? yeah and they just do it really well and we love it and we give them awards um and it's convincing but it's like the same same actor in every role in every movie mm -hmm. um and and i i wonder if that could happen to a writer or a creator where you get so good at playing one actor one one role that you just you end up doing it all the time versus like a philip seymour hoffman where like every he's an amazing actor in every movie it's like a totally different person <laughs> what you just described is a game that i like to play with my brother and and some of my friends called actor or entertainer right mm. where the idea is can they actually transform who they are for each role or is it really just the same character just with like a different level of whatever like for example vince vaughn is always vince vaughn just with a different level of intensity and snark right like yeah. he's always vince vaughn no matter what yeah i mean i think you know kind of expanding on what you guys have said already um I think there's a comfort level, you know, when we get, uh, when we're writing a series, you know, sometimes it's just so hard to break away from those characters and that setting and try something new or to expand upon what we're, you know, what we want to write that the, the excitement of exploring, of trying something new, of researching and writing a different story gets us kind of pigeonholed. Uh, you know, there are some writers out there that uh, they haven't written anything other than this one series. Um, and it would be nice to see something different. It would mm -hmm. be nice to see a, a change. But at the same time, I, I get it. You know, when you're, you're comfortable with that, it's easy to write that. But I think we lose some of the magic in, in the writing when we get so comfortable with this character that it starts losing the excitement of the next book um so those authors that have long series but they jump to other things i think really benefits uh where they keep that excitement up yeah i, I had this thought of have we ever seen a writer or have you guys seen a writer jump from genre to genre just to keep that fresh so they're doing a thriller in one book and the next book they are doing uh, a romantic comedy and then the next one you know, fantasy is that, is, have you seen anyone do that successfully? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I have a good friend, Dave West. He's, he's a writer. He writes like very Conan esque the bar, you know, Conan, the barbarian esque uh, stories. Mm -hmm. And then he writes weird West novels. And so, you know, those are completely different and he does that really successfully. Um, and he's trying other things. Um, I know of Michael Brent Collins. He he writes primarily horror, but he's written fantasy. He's written sci-fi, and more recently, he wrote a romance novel, um, oh. which he did fairly successfully. And he did that because you know he want he wanted something else. He did the romance one so that something his wife could read and not like be terrified. Uh, you know, he wrote the fantasy stuff for for his wife. But then he also wrote uh, a fantasy uh, kids novel so his kids could read it. So there, there's purpose and, and desire behind there. But I, I really think if you're a good writer, you can tell any type of story, no matter what genre. Yeah. Yeah. In our uh, interview with Brandon Sanderson the other day, um, he mentioned that he's in the middle of this wheel of time. He's riding the wheel of time, every fan's dream. And he says, I had to put it down for a minute. And so he went and wrote Miss Born Era 2, yeah. uh, The Alloy of Law, the first book in that series. He, he said, and I, I've heard him describe it in other places as a palate cleanser. He <laughs> needs to get away, do something different. So his brain circuits reset, and then he comes back to work on the, the main project. And I think that a lot of his books work that way. If you look at his, you know, he gives weekly updates on, on YouTube. And uh, he will mention that, you know, he, this week he's gotten this far on Stormlight. And then the next week, there's no Stormlight thing, but he's talking about... Um, uh defiance whatever the this i can't remember it now but it's the the the, the new series with uh uh the new sci-fi series that he's working on and he'll switch from from book to book and series to series uh stuff that he's working on so he doesn't get burned out on things and that's what i think a lot of authors suffer from um they'll get into a rut 
and this this is the and they get to, they fall into this trap of thinking this is all that they can write because they're not feeling inspired for anything else and getting out of that comfort zone i think is where the the growth happens yeah so, so karma of the sun hit the shelves uh on january 17th you said that the hardcover has already sold out uh, on amazon but might be available at other purveyors of books uh where are some key places where we can find karma of the sun um I would say support your independent uh, uh, booksellers. Um, many of them do have copies. I I, I understand that. Um, um, also, Barnes and Nobles um, has uh, uh, available hard copies. And of course, um, if you like audiobooks, which I love audiobooks, um, that is also available. And I have oh, to nice. say, the yeah, the recording, the production quality, and the voice actor Kyung Sim. Um, does an amazing job just the lyricism uh, of his delivery of the you know and the the character voices it's it's mesmerizing it really is i was very i was blown away you know you know i i have a six-year-old son who's like you did not write this you know it's like, <laughs> it sounds like a real book <laughs> it sounds like a real book that's awesome <laughs> thanks son <laughs> yeah. thank you that so, sounded like a real compliment yeah that is so uh, yeah, just just taking a look on, on on Amazon right now, folks. Uh, the hardcover is sold out. However, there is a paperback version of it uh, available right now. Uh, it is a little bit less, but if you know if you don't want to wait for the hardback, this is a way for you to pick it up, or you can pick it up uh, on Audible uh, through audiobook. Uh, definitely pick up a copy if you like post-apocalyptic or just good storytelling this sounds like a fantastic story to pick up and, and start reading you know it, it is winter you know a lot of us aren't running around outside snag a copy so you can snuggle up next to the fireplace or your heater or, or just on the couch um you know and maybe uh, the idea of karma under the sun will warm you until uh, the sun actually comes out and starts becoming spring <laughs> Um, but no, Brandon, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show and talking about your book and writing. Um, but before we go, we have uh, Krebs does something which we missed last week that every author has to go through. And that is the lightning. round. I need, I need to get a hold of Brandon Sanderson just for a lightning round conversation. So, so Brandon, I, I forgot to mention this before the show, but at the end of the episode, I love to do a lightning round with all of our first time guests. And, uh, it's really, it's, it's very simple. It's very basic. You don't have to worry about it. Basically. I'm going to ask you some questions. They're typically extremely easy questions. I just want the first answer that comes off the top of your head. Are you ready? Yeah. And, um, you, so I, I want to hear you do this with the other Brandon, Brandon San Sanderson, when you, when you do have him back. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I also want to hear how that goes. Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, all right. Ready, set, go. Brandon, what is your favorite color? Green. What's your favorite band? Uh, Let me change it. What is one of your favorite bands? The Beatles. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, Abbey Road, White Album. What? Which? Which Beatles? Which era? Abbey Road. Wonderful. Uh, are you right-handed or left-handed? Right. Dogs, cats, birds, fish—none of the above. Cats. Favorite food? Sushi. Mm, good choice. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. I was really hoping that was the answer. And it, it, <laughs> it's because sushi is my favorite food too. Is it? Yes, yes, it is. And finally, uh, what is your stance on the 1983 sci-fi fantasy film Crawl? <laughs> I, I think I haven't thought about that novel, that 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 um, movie since the since the 80s. Um, <laughs> that's my stance. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair uh, enough. Did, did did you watch that when you were a kid? Yeah, I did. Uh, when you were a kid, did you like it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. I'll take it. I'll chalk that up for, for nostalgic win. Thank you. That's it. That's the All end right. of the lightning round. You did great. You did get an answer for everything. <laughs> we survived. Thank you. And thank you for having me, guys. This was awesome. I hope to be back. Yeah, we'd love to have you back. Now, awesome. where, can, where can our listeners find you? Because clearly we want them 
to you know follow you with if you're on social media or whatever uh if you have a website just to be updated on any new and exciting things that come out from from you uh they can they can follow me on instagram at bowie books uh b-o-e-y-b-o-o-k-s uh on twitter at brandon y-k bowie or on my website brandon yinkit bowie.com all right brilliant all right folks so rush out there pick up a copy of karma of the sun and enjoy this fantastic post-apocalyptic tale that is not what we're used to but sounds like it's something that we will love so with that said we'll catch you next time let your geek flag fly so say we all and whether it's the end of the world or not always remember to be epic and don't suck remember the force will be with you always